Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. Apologies for this kind of echoey sound quality, but I wanted to make sure to get out this episode while it's still fresh. A couple of updates. Um, one is I'm going to be releasing a lot of episodes in a row. I'm doing kind of like a marathon of Katie Halper Shows. And uh, consider yourself lucky, blessed. It's uh, Christmas came early this year, or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa. Also, we talk about a loft law that we urge Cuomo to sign on this episode. This episode was done live radio. And guess what, guys? Because of you, because of the listeners, I'm sure that was a large part of it. The loft law got the Katie Halper Show bump, and Andrew Cuomo signed the bill. You'll hear about that more during the episode. Stand by for an episode with Ro Khanna and Orchier from No Olympics LA, Dean Spade, Connor Habib, John Pat Leary, and many, many more. Very excited to have uh, two great guests on the show today. Uh, we have with us in studio Ava Farkas the executive director of the Metropolitan Council on Housing, which is a housing organization. And she's going to talk to us about a uh, landmark victory that she and uh, countless organizers achieved uh, in terms of housing and rent laws. Uh, But before that, well, how are you doing, Ava? Great. Great. All right. I had to run a little bit to get here. How come? I live really far away. Okay, yeah. Not a morning person. Not a morning person, but a fighting person. I know. Sometimes I'm amazed. I've known Ava for years, and sometimes I'm amazed that um, uh, you've achieved as much as you have. Uh, maybe, is there a classification? Like, I have this too a little bit, but like, like temporarily challenged for people who are late a lot? I think I think there is. Yeah. You, should, something. Ho- you should hold up government uh, things, yeah, There events. should be like a late schedule of everything. Yeah. Schedule. Right. There's a lot of shame. Yeah, there is a lot of late. shame. And we should yeah. push back on that. And if people do that, we should call them out for, what is it, temporal phobia or something? I don't know. We got to think about this more. But uh, it'd be funny if you showed up hours late to things like hearings. And when they started, you'd be like, actually, that's discrimination. And I'm going to see you. Um, Let's try it out. Yeah. So thanks again so much for coming in. And uh, we're going to talk about all the great things that you achieved. Oh, oh, oh. And you can take calls. We're going to be taking calls. Is that okay? I forgot to mention that, Michael. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Hi. Michael is the engineer. We ha- I haven't introduced you before because I didn't want to put you on the spot. But welcome to people to Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Um, makes the magic happen. And we will be taking phone calls at 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877 at the end of, uh, during the second half of the show. During the second half of the show. Okay. So first, right now, we are bringing in to speak to us, Terry Rothstein, an organizer with Reclaim Pride Coalition. Are you there? Yes. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good. You? Good, good. Thanks so much for calling in, for talking to us today. Um, so please tell listeners um, about what Reclaim Pride is and what the Queer Liberation March is. And I should also mention that Terry was an organizer also with um, ACT UP. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. Yeah, so Reclaim Pride Coalition is um, an association of uh, over 175 international LGBTI uh, and national and local groups. And uh, what we're doing is, in fact, reclaiming pride, bringing it back to its original roots in the Stonewall Uprising in 1969. A lot of folks probably know it's the 50th anniversary this year. And the, uh, you know, the New York LGBT Pride Parade is usually organized by an organization called Heritage of Pride. And a bunch of us in the group, um, activists from the area and around the world, 
have noticed increasingly that Pride Parade here and in all places around the world have become increasingly more commercialized and sort of more state-influenced, government-influenced. So we, over a year ago, we started negotiations with Heritage of Pride, um, and we really got none of our asks were delivered. We wanted to get um, Gay Officers Action League not to march in the parade, uh, we wanted to have much less policing, much less barricades, which kept people, you know, kept the community from joining the parade in a, in a you know, in, a, in an easier fashion, a impromptu fashion. And we wanted to get the large presence of, of the corporate floats out that take up so much, you know, so much of the street time, so much of the air time during the broadcast, so much physical and auditory space. And uh, we really wanted to you know, bring it back to the roots, as we were saying. So we've organized this ourselves in the past year. It's a bunch of groups, a lot of activist, activist groups, community groups, no corporations, no corporate funding. It's only been put together by uh, by donations that we've raised. And we start at 9.30 a.m. I know it's sort of a homophobic hour, but yeah. we start at 9.30 a.m. At, yeah, we had to do that to get around the, the other parade. Uh, so we started at 9.30 at Sheridan Square by, Stone, by Stonewall Inn, where it all began. And then at 11 o'clock, we're picking up a bunch of marchers at Bryant Park. Okay, great. So a that's lot of more, people, that's yeah. a more homo-friendly uh, Exactly. Uh, exactly. Time. It's like yeah. everyone-friendly. Right, everyone-friendly, yeah. Ava, <laughs> by the way, Ava's, Ava Fergus from uh, Metropolitan Council on Housing is here with us in studio, so she's here too. And we were Excellent. just talking about how we both struggle with uh, time and how it's a real thing and we're silent no more. So, yeah, maybe we'll make an appearance. <laughs> yeah, exactly, we should mark the sign exactly. in Pride. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'll be there at 8 a.m. or whatever. Oh, my gosh. But, <laughs> but then we go all the way up to Central Park and we're having a really great uh, rally with a bunch of really cool political inspirational speakers and some really great entertainers. And, and all of this is, you know, we're centralizing uh, marginalized folks, the people who do get threatened by the power of the state and uh, the people who don't benefit from from corporate, you know, uh, sustenance. Right. And that'll be represented in our in our march and in our rally. So we're hoping everyone can come out and, and take part and, and try and, you know, join in something that's really kind of grassroots once again in, in LGBTI. Yeah. And I'm just looking at just wanted to share some of the great speakers um, that you're going to be having. Uh, Larry Kramer, uh, yeah, of from course, Act from ACT UP. Um, Jason Walker. Uh, nationally uh, nationally recognized activist, community organizer, and movement builder working within the intersection of black and queer liberation. Um, Amir Ashour, who is the founder yep. and executive director of Ira Queer, Iraq's first and only LGBTQIA uh, organization. Um, you got performers like uh, Betty, the band Betty. Yeah. Um, and uh, Justin Bond is performing. Oh, Justin Bond. Nice. Yeah, Masha Gessen is speaking to a really happy to have them. Um, oh, great. Oh, great. Blair Mani, Blair Mani from UK is LGBT and uh, Muslim British. And um, they're, they're Stacey Ann Chin. What's that? Stacey Ann Chin. Stacey Ann Chin is awesome. Yeah. Pam Sneed. Some really great folks from, from the area and from all other places. And uh, we're really pleased that people are just donating their time. Really <gasps> Marga Gomez. Up. Margaret Gomez is emceeing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. She's a friend of the yeah. show. Yeah. Oh, oh and, awesome. and John Cameron Mitchell. John Cameron Mitchell, yeah. From Hedvig. That's and I always want to say, people have been saying, I want to say it more and more, allies are totally welcome. It's not, doesn't have, you don't have to be queer to go. You could be queer in whatever way you consider yourself queer. It's going to be a really great, I think the, the march will be great and the rally will be really great too. It's in the Great Lawn. 
Oh, which, uh, yeah. Sorry. And the whole thing, by the way, traces the, the original path oh, of, great. of the march from 1970, the Christopher Street uh, Liberation Day uh, march. And uh, so we're really happy to be able to do that. Time queer? We can be time queer? Uh, What's that? Time queer, you know, for late people. Time queer. Exactly. I, I'm just time pointing queer. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. It's yeah. good, right? And can, I want to ask you about the progress of um, kind of LGBTQ rights um, acceptance. I don't know if that's a that's kind of a problematic word, um, but the mixed blessing that has come along with that in terms of yeah. the kind of commodification and corporatization of an identity and also, of course, of this parade, but kind of how that speaks right. to a larger issue and what your thoughts on that were. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I want to say it's a very American thing, but mm. we're sort of seeing it around the world. But I think, unfortunately, we've set the tone with right. it. I mean, I mean, let's be frank, the the achievement of marriage equality was, was a huge thing. A lot of people were really happy about that. I myself am not the marrying kind. I don't feel like I and a lot of my cohorts needed it, but like a lot of people wanted that. We got it. And it does give us a degree of acceptance, but I think at the cost of some, some assimilationism, you know, right. some respectability politics. Because people who don't know queer people a lot of times don't, or trans people don't know how to deal with it. But when they see that you're married or having children, they're like, oh, okay, they're just like us. And you know, maybe we are, but in a lot of ways, we're not just like you, you know. And um, But the thing that came along with that, of course, is, is the commodification. Because in this country, you people really only seem to think that you're accepted is when, when you can shop, when you right. can see, you know, logos that represent you. And now that, that that poor rainbow logo is I know. everywhere all over the place. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it makes you not like the rainbow. I mean, I do like the rainbow. Yeah. I knew the designer who's now gone. And oh, wow. It did a lot of great, a lot, did a lot of great things for us. Um, it was Gilbert Baker was his name. And, um, but yeah, the, with that assimilationism, and then there's all the state stuff, you know, the, the, the military is now gay and trans friendly right. and we've seen that whole thing changing a lot of us don't agree with supporting a state that that goes you know to the other side of the world killing black and brown people right. on a on a daily yearly basis ongoing you know we've been fighting these wars for how long in afghanistan and iraq you know and we don't see that as an achievement that right. sort of that degree of acceptance yeah exactly yeah that's uh you know what is it like um lockheed martin using pink drones or you know Hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Pink washing. Pan, yeah, oh, wow. pink washing. Right. Yeah. And homo nationalism. I like that. You know, and it's nice when you're if you're a drone, it's nice when you're drawn by a, a woman of color. Um, exactly. It brings a lot of uh, intersectionality to, to exactly. your deaths. Um, One other great thing, an article just came out. You might want to take a look at someone called a group called the Popular Information uh, Organization looked at a bunch of the companies that the um HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, they do an index every year for like companies that are, are queer friendly, meaning mm-hmm. that they do things for their the LGBT uh, workers. And like nine of those companies, they looked them up and they got a perfect score from HRC. But then they found out that those companies, each of them gave at least a million, sometimes several million dollars to anti-LGBT politicians who actually, you know, promoted anti-LGBT policies. So it's kind of like, wow. it's just, you know, an HRC is sort of the epitome of that very corporate friendly, gay, you know, LGBT type of nonprofit. And, and we're saying, how, how can that they have a perfect rating if they're funding legislation that makes trans children want, you know, children want to kill themselves and, yeah. and uh, unfriendly spaces for queer people and, and on and on the oppressive legislation that's coming down 
the pike now. So just yeah. pressing people to look at those contradictions. Yeah, that's weird because I mean I know of of things that are more, you know, corporate or militaristic and and or just going through the motions but not doing anything for LGBTQ people, but this is I'm, I this is interesting because it's actually um thanking people who explicitly are going against what uh ATR exactly. yeah, see, exactly, yeah. Sta- claims to stand for, yeah. Um so and there's many more examples that I could give you, but yeah. you know but I we don't have a, all week, yeah, marathon. <laughs> and of course, the Dow, uh, Dow Chemical, uh, the founder of that is uh, woke. Um, apparently, he's you know Dow Chemical has done yeah. uh, terrible things all over the world, and oh, it's, yeah. it's really For moving years. because he decided to come out after he had cancer, um, which really put life in perspective for him. But uh, and and so now I didn't even know that. Yeah, wow. yeah, I saw this this article on him in Bloomberg, of course, and uh, now he's able to you know bring cancer to other people um, b- while being out and, yeah. and proud, you know. So that's really it's important. insane. You know, it's insane, and it makes me it makes me sad sometimes because I see people in my own community community pushing back, and right. you know, a big thing that we're doing is like I said, no police in the march, no right. corporations, and a lot of unfortunately middle class, usually white people, don't get that. Not always, but like don't get that they're like the police make us safe and we push back with well who are they making safe you know yeah yeah trans exactly. woman color Lailene Polanco just died in Rikers Island two weeks yeah. ago because she wasn't given care you know right. these type of things go on all the time if you're marginalized and those folks are in the community so what are we doing for them right you know? yeah exactly yeah great well thank you so much really excited to be talking to you really grateful to be talking to you and what is the the like social that. media that we can find uh you guys on? Oh, it's uh, Queer March, at Queer March on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, we have the event pinned there with uh, all the speakers, and we'll be unveiling that daily. Great. And so us- once again, encouraging folks to come out at any point during the afternoon on Sunday. Tell us again what time it'll start and where. The, you convinced actual- me to go. I'm, go- I'm going. Yeah. Okay, great. The, the actual rally starts around 1, a little after 1 in Central Park. We're going to get there. The kickoff of the of the march starts at nine thirty, but you could pick it up at, at Bryant Park also. Um, and before, all the way up Sixth Avenue. Before you go, what is your proudest moment as an organizer, um, or you know, as a member of this community? I'm just curious. You know, uh, Stonewall is 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 fifty, uh, so you have to get it a gold uh, gift. But um, yeah, I just wanted to know if there's anything you want to highlight that's kind of left out of history um, from your days of organizing. From my days of organizing, yeah, uh, it's kind of a an, uh, sorry to overwhelm you with a really big question. Yeah, but yeah. Anything I that mean, you get proud about, you know, that you're particularly proud of or get emotional I'll about? Say, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, several several years ago, someone called Elon Nettles was murdered. A, a trans black woman was murdered up in Harlem, and I was doing work with ACT UP back then. And this was just just really starting to be an issue, the, the murder of black and, and women, uh, trans women of color. And um, I helped out with some folks to organize that and sort of just stumbled into that. And I learned a lot. Um, proudest, I guess it would say, was my proudest moment. And it was also a really huge learning moment for me to find out about my position as, you know, as a white cis man. Mm-hmm. And finding out about all about working with different communities and how how different we all are, but how the same we are in some ways and all the, all the problems that are involved in that, but all the wonderful things that can come out of it. And that, and that sort of that moment taught me that, yeah, there's a lot of work we, we need to do, but we can totally do it. 
and community, you know, the community can come together and can rise above oppressive things like the state and capitalism, which I think more and more is the thing that is really just really rips us apart. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, yeah, that was the moment when I just kind of learned, we, you know, we did a we did a big rally down at one police plaza, got a lot of press for it. And eventually that case was solved and uh, the perpetrator oh, was, wow. um, was picked up. And unfortunately, those 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 horrible murders still keep happening. Right. But the profile has been raised, I think, more and more every year. And hopefully we're going to have some changes, you know, around that particular issue. Right. Yeah. And uh, of course, another thing that you guys have achieved is Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's the first. Oh, um, I didn't achieve that. I know. I'm being sarcastic, but I know I won't I won't blame you for that. I won't put that in you. But um, of course, he's a gay. I saw someone tweeted the first openly gay um uh, man running for uh, the Republican nomination, which was a joke because he's, of course, running for the Democratic nomination. Yeah. But um, yeah. oh, my God. And he's, yeah. of course, done not enough at all. Uh, he's in trouble now, um, justifiably yeah. for not doing enough to combat police violence and police brutality and town. racism in right. his own town. Yeah. So he's taking right. off some time from the campaign to spend more time in South Bend uh, ignoring the problem. Oh, <laughs> Well, I'm glad at least you're taking some time off the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are the kinds of things that you see come up all the time. Like, right. a lot of white gay men, privileged gay white men, don't see stuff like that. They don't see economic disparity. Right. You know, and they just think, well, I'm, you know, I'm this cool gay guy and they left me. Yeah. You know? Right. Obviously, there are problems with that. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, Terry, and come back thank on the you. show. All right. I hope to see you Sunday. Yes, you will. You'll see me okay, and Ava from Met Council. Okay, we'll great. Bye. Yeah, you we're... too, Ava. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. We're late. <clears throat> we're here. We're not going anywhere. That was Terry Rothstein um, from Reclaim Pride. Uh, he was also has been an organizer with uh, ACT UP and also with um, Gays Against Guns. So, Ava, welcome again. Glad to be here. Yeah. Wow. I like your uh, like uh, <laughs> NPR voice and that dramatic pause. So, Ava, tell us about what you guys uh, have I achieved. A practice. You know, yeah, it sounds good. What you guys uh, w- tell us about this victory, this landmark victory. Sure. Um, so for the first time uh, in 25 years, tenants have won in Albany. Um, we won uh, the most far-reaching uh, expansion and strengthening of rent regulation, which are the laws that govern a million apartments in New York City and uh, suburbs around New York City. Um, the laws, uh, you know, if you're a tenant in a rent-regulated apartment or a rent-controlled apartment, you know that for the past couple of decades, landlords have had all kinds of ways of raising your rent um, that get around the normal annual rent increases um, that are supposed to be the main ways that the rent goes up. The perp- the whole purpose of rent regulation is to, maintain, <laughs> is to maintain a stable housing stock um, for working class people. There's there's an actual housing emergency in New York City because the vacancy rate is below 5%. So that means that the market is a landlord's market. Okay. And unless the government intervenes and regulates the rents so that you know, the market is more fair and balanced, then landlords can really charge whatever right. they want. Because and of the supply-demand economy or because exactly. of, so they have a kind of a... Uh, monopoly. The, yeah, the yeah. monopoly. They have the upper hand. Right. right. Tenants can't just choose if they can't pay $3,000, they can find right. they can't, another right. place yeah. that is, you know, yeah. $1,500 yeah. that doesn't exist yeah. right, unless exactly. 
there's regulation. Yeah. Uh, you're, wel- uh, you're welcome, libertarians. We just explained to you why your stuff doesn't work. But anyway, <laughs> in case anyone had any doubt. Yeah. So um, basically, landlords um, have um, had tremendous power over the state uh, legislature in Albany. Um, and they were able in the 1990s to win um, loopholes and um, something called vacancy decontrol, which um, slowly started to, to dismantle the system of rent regulation. And it created a threshold that if the rent went up to and there was a vacancy, the landlord could deregulate that unit. So through that process called vacancy decontrol, we've lost almost 300,000 apartments to deregulation. So those apartments now are are market rate, unregulated. Um, landlords can charge whatever rent they want and they don't have to renew people's leases. So that also creates like community instability. People can't, you know, don't have the security to know that they'll have a lease when their current lease is up in one or two years. Um, that's happened um, largely in Manhattan, um, on the Upper West Side, on the Upper East Side, um, in the neighborhoods that really have you know, gentrified really rapidly. And that's starting to happen in the outer boroughs. And so what happened um, this uh, June is that after decades and decades of fighting and organizing, um, first tenants were able, through the help of many other anti-IDC organizations that mobilized um, in the, you know, Trump era, um, IDC is the, um, the independent democratic conference. Um, so, so landlords have always, um, contributed, um, tremendously to support, um, Republican legislators in Albany. And they also helped prop up a Republican majority in the state Senate. The assembly, uh, has been Democrat for a long time and has supported our legislation for a long time. But the state Senate was really the barrier. And then Governor Cuomo would act like this um, impartial arbitrator between the two houses. But really, he was partial to the real estate industry. Um, It gets a tremendous amount of money from them. Um, So for the first time this year, we have a Democratic state Senate because of all the grassroots activism in the last election um, that ousted the Independent Democratic Conference, which were a group of Democratic legislators, but who caucused with the Republicans and helped give the Republicans their majority. Right. And also helped give Cuomo cover. Right. Because he said that he couldn't, you know, Cuomo you know, essentially helped create the independent democratic conference so that there, there would be this split and that Cuomo could look like he's a progressive when he's totally not. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So for the first time with Democrats controlling both houses in Albany, we won really historic, far reaching um, rent regulations. So now there's no more deregulation No longer will any apartments be taken out of rent regulation. Um, There's no more vacancy bonus. So landlords won't get a 20 percent bump in the rent when they have turnover in a unit. So that that disincentivizes like trying to displace and evict tenants and have high rates of turnover in your building. Um, Tenants with something called a preferential rent, which affects nearly a third of rent regulated tenants, 
where they had a lower uh, discounted rent that could be up to the higher rent at a lease renewal, that rent will stay at the lower amount for the duration of their lease. So there's like tremendous impacts that affect tenants right now in New York City and that are going to really help curb speculation, displacement, gentrification across all our neighborhoods. Can you tell us some uh, tips that you have about organizing? I mean, you took on a lot of forces um, the real estate industry, a lot of talking points. We, we often hear that, you know, if you make it, um, if you get in the way of profit, that you will stop uh, investment in the city, that, you know, real estate uh, businesses will leave and investment will will exit from, from the city or from the state. What's your response to that? Yeah, we're, we're actually confronting a lot of these arguments now. Um, tonight, actually, the Rent Guidelines Board, which is a appointed by the mayor of the city decides the annual increases for rent stabilized leases. Um, They're going to be meeting tonight at Cooper Union, 7 East 7th Street at 7 p.m. It's a great event. Tenants should come out um, and voice their opposition to any increase. Um, But landlords are coming out and saying exactly that, that they, you know, will not be able to maintain their buildings. By the way, sorry, tonight, just in case, tonight Tonight, is Tuesday. Tonight, Tuesday, 7 p.m. at Cooper Union, the Great Hall at Cooper Union. So landlords are saying exactly that. They won't be able to maintain their buildings. Um, You know, buildings will fall into disrepair. I mean, really, it's... Totally outrageous. They've been making tremendous, tremendous profit for these past 25 years. They're just upset that like the party's over and that things are going to go back to moderate profits like they make 41 cents on every dollar they get in rent. Their income always exceeds their expenses. And that's gone up for the past 13 years. So they're doing fine. There's also like a hardship provision like they can actually apply to the city if they're not making 5 percent profit. And they can have the normal increases waived. And so they can get a higher amount. No landlord ever applies for the hardship increase. So it's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. They give these anecdotes that are not fact-based that, you know, there's also no way that giving them higher profit ensures that they spend that on helping tenants in their homes. Like, there's tons (laughs) tons of very profitable corporate landlords who make, uh, great profits, they don't necessarily reinvest it in their buildings. Um, right. Yeah, that's always the narrative, right? Uh, as if that's that's the one thing in, in the way of their investing. In yeah, their they're not yeah. benevolent. They're not right. doing this because they right. love humanity. Right. If it's only business. they had more money they could put into the community yeah. and put into repairs. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Ava Farkas, we have two. Uh, we already have two people who have called in oh. with questions. So hello. And can you state your name and where you're from? Hi, um, I'm Susie Schropp. I'm from the East Village. Hi, Ava. Hi, Susie. Um, so, um, obviously, you mentioned how the landlords are, or the landlord lobby is already spinning, like, disgusting PR campaigns all over. And, you know, we've all started getting involved in various discussions um, on various social media platforms. And um, I'm just wondering, uh, because they're threatening lawsuits and everything, what can we do as a tenant movement to avoid some of that PR spinning? Because obviously they have the power and the money to do that. And um, I think we really need to be very careful because they are livid and they are doing everything to take this away. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. Partly, I think it's like an interesting 
problem to have. Like, this is sort of the first time we've been in this position where, like, we've won. So we, you know, we won. Um, Landlords can, like, cry and whine and complain in the media, but that doesn't change the fact that the laws have changed and they've been passed in a way that they're no longer going to sunset. So Sunset um, sunset means they'd have to be renewed. They used to it used to be that the laws would sunset and there'd be a fight to get them renewed every four years or couple of years. That's no longer going to happen. So it's going to be much harder for them to take this win away or to prepare for like the next battle in four years. Um, You know, that's not to say that they're going to try to figure out ways to undo this or to elect people who are going to. Um, you know, try to change the legislation, but we're in a pretty good position right now. And I don't think we should, um, you know, I, I think we're there. They're in the organizing role that we used to normally be in. Um, and they, they spend a lot of money on an ad campaign that ultimately wasn't effective. I mean, and they're they're really like out of the circle of of power right now in Albany. They couldn't even get the governor to like intervene and and change the negotiations between the assembly and Senate. Wow. Um, so things are really shifting. I think we have to continue like pushing that by being part of progressive organizations that are doing organizing to keep um, progressive change happening on a state level. Like many issues are interconnected. Um, real right. estate is like the most one of the most powerful profitable or powerful capitalist forces in the city. But like we have to be part of movements that are like chipping away at their power. And they really they really just encountered like a major setback. And so I think we just have to keep we have to educate people. One, like tenants all need to know what these new laws are so they know how to enforce them. And so we make sure that landlords are following the laws and we have to keep building our movement. Like we started building a statewide movement, which ultimately got this victory. um, And we have to keep building that movement. So get involved in your local like community based housing organization. Contact my council. um, Get involved in housing justice for all. That's the statewide. Keep on keeping keep on keeping on. And we have another phone call. Uh, Can you say your name and where you're from? Hi, uh, this is Marta, and I'm from Brooklyn, Bushwick. And uh, hi, uh, Katie and Ava. Hi. Um, so, okay, my question is, I ha- I'm in a rent-stabilized apartment, and the, the um, landlord has tried to buy us out. Um, uh, it's definitely gentrified. They've already uh, destabilized, is that correct? Destabilized. Mm-hmm. A couple of the apartments, like ours is 800 for a three-bedroom, and theirs is 4,000. Oh, wow. So, wow. Um, uh, now, they kind of do these things, you know, a few things here and there to try and get us out, but not too bad. Uh, but now, with this deregular, deregulation, is that what? Yeah, yeah. deregulization. That's not do, does that That's not mean the word? That oh, sorry, wait one second. I don't want to. <laughs> the, I, I end just... of the end of vacancy decontrol? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever's called, yeah. Where they can kick you out and then and then make it, you know, four thousand. Yeah. Has that that stopped now? Is that correct? So there's no more deregulation. Yes. So they cannot deregulate your unit. Your unit, even if they raise the rent, even if the rent goes higher, there's no threshold amount 
beyond which it's deregulated. Um, so, yes, the, the previous business model was to try to get uh, long term tenants to move so landlords could rehab the apartment because they passed on um, a major yeah. amount of that cost to the new tenants lease and they got a 20 percent bonus. Um, so that would often take the uh, the rent of the apartment over the threshold and and make it deregulated. Um so correct. They cannot they can no longer do those things in terms of like the types of rehabs they can do. There's like a cap on the amount that they can do and they can only do a certain mm-hmm. amount over a 15 year period. And mm-hmm. the charge to tenants will be about eighty three to eighty nine dollars additional on the rent um, and about buyouts. So. So, yeah, now sort of the, the, the logic behind buyouts may not really exist for landlords. It may not pay. We might see a drop in buyouts because it doesn't really pay anymore. They're not going to gain anything except maybe they can raise the rent a little bit, but um, they're not real. There's not really an incentive anymore for buyouts. Um, oh, my and, God. This is incredible. And we well, always yeah. advised people also to be very um, to really be cautious about buyouts, because you're saying, like, if you have a rent of eight hundred dollars for a three bedroom, where else will you move? Even if you get a good buyout, like unless you can purchase an apartment or a home, yeah, they, they got, you can't they got find another lease. apartment that you're going to rent. That's going to be as affordable. Yeah, they gave her twenty thousand to get out. Oh yeah, that's they, ridiculous. You'll spend that on us, rent in a year. That's yeah, totally ridiculous. And we said no. I mean, no way. Yeah, no way. Wow, incredible. Well, um, thank you for all your good work. This is this is incredible, incredible news. You're welcome. Thank you, um, Ava. I have a question for you. So you're talking a lot about um, po- policy, of course, and uh, these important victories you achieved. But can you tell us some of the personal stories about some of the people you are organizing with and what this means for them? We work with with so many uh, great tenants that are a part of who like took so much of their personal time to be part of this fight, took days off from work to come up to Albany. So one issue that's like important to our members is rent control. So there's like two systems of regulation. Rent control is the older system and rents for rent control tenants were um, set by a different formula than rent stabilization. So rents were going up um, 7.5 percent every year. Um, And so um, we have like. A member uh, who lives in Inwood named Bennett, who's a social worker, um, has lived in Inwood like his whole life. Um, He inherited his the apartment he grew up in, because that's also part of rent stabilization is you can um, have succession rights to succeed the tenancy of a relative, your your family member, your parents. Um, And so um, Bennett. Um, Hi, Bennett, if you're listening. Who is a social worker in Inwood. It was a big part of the fight against the rezoning. Um, his rent, I forgot the number off the top of my head, but it was like over $2,000 um, a month. And he was paying higher rent than many other tenants in his building. Um, and so now the changes in the law will mean that he'll he'll get a lower increase and it'll be uh, an average of i believe the past five years of increases that the rent guidelines board passes which is how the increases work for rent stabilized tenants that's the decision that's happening tonight okay Um, tonight tuesday Uh yeah there's also just we've heard a lot from preferential rent tenants 
but we have a clinic um, where people come and ask for, you know, our advice and, and information uh, weekly. And we see people all the time that have preferential rents that are being taken away um, not offered again by their landlords. So their rents are often increasing like a couple hundred dollars from one year to the next. And they're not going to be able to afford it. Actually, no, I do remember there's a there's a building on Kruger Avenue in the Bronx um, that an ally organization of ours works with. Um, and tenants there almost all were getting hundreds of dollars of rent increases. They almost all had preferential rents and none of them were um, signing their new leases because they would not be able to afford um, the hundreds of dollars of increases to wow. their rent. Um, what? How does housing intersect <laughs> with it, other issues like health, racial justice, mental health, health in general? I think housing is like a really essential um, human. I mean, it's a human right. Um, we believe it's a human right. And we believe it's a human right because it's so critical for so many other um, so many other things to uh, go well in your life. Education, health. I mean, I think that without like stable housing, there's a whole like housing first movement among um, folks who do work on um, homelessness, mental health, um, like other health issues that's like a philosophy that believes that like you can't solve any health like public health crisis or like severe chronic health issues without first having stable um housing for people um so you know if you don't know if you don't have a healthy and safe and affordable place to live and housing is like a stress for you then like all other things in your life or all, all other problems are going to be like exacerbated. Right. And of course, education, how it interferes with. Yeah. Education, I mean, right? if, if you don't if you don't know that you're going to be able to stay in the same community um, for the duration of like your child's elementary school education or junior high school education, then that creates a lot of um, challenges for families. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and I assume there's a lot of shame also uh, associated with homelessness. You know, I mean, there. Yeah, it's there's until the of course all. Yeah, it's just a lack of stability, as you said, exacerbates all issues and all problems. Uh, do And we have another phone call. Can you say your name and where you're from? Oh, hi, Stone East Village. Um, yeah. You know, I was interested. Uh, was your name Ava? Yeah. Ava. Yeah, I was interested to hear you mention rent control. You know, I never even thought of asking about it. I am one of those people, I think, oh, you know, there are 10 of us left in the city who are under rent control as opposed to rent stabilization because it means that you have to have lived in that apartment since 1971, and very few people are still in the same apartment since 71. Mm -hmm. So I, it never occurred to me that, that rent control was affected. So um, let me get clear what you said. Did you say that it is no longer going to be... A Seven and a half percent increase is going to be an annual increase based on the average of the last five years of rent stabilization. So, Correct. in other words, and the last five years of the rent stabilization increases were what three and two and zero and zero or something like yeah, that. Yeah, currently so it would be like two percent or two and a half percent. It's going to be the average of. It's going to be a five-year average of the one-year increases. So that's yeah. For the past couple of years, that's been like this year is one point five percent. 
There was two years of a rent freeze right. uh, for one year leases. Um, there's also not going to be any more fuel pass along costs to oh, rent control okay. tenants. Oh, so that means the increase. Do you know what it is off as hand for for uh, I, this year? I don't know, and this is something that we're working to find out from the state uh, uh, housing community uh, HCR. We're trying to find out like when this is going to start and when the new number will be out. So we're okay. working to get more information about that, and you can like contact okay. Met That's Council. That's great. Again about I didn't that. even imagine that could happen. But the other thing, um, so when exactly does this does this all go into effect? It's in effect as of June fifteenth. As of oh, it's already in effect. Yes, retroactive, yes. kind of. I mean, not retroactive. It, it passed went, on June fourteenth. So the oh, day actually, it's the day it passed. It's June fourteenth, I believe. We should make that right. Back. Okay. Oh, that's good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, we're talking people to people. Yeah, also, we have so we have a hotline at Met Council. People can call us with questions just like these um, at 212-979-0611 on Mondays, Wednesdays from one thirty to 8 o'clock and on Fridays from one thirty to 5. Can you say that number again? 212-979-0611. Okay, great. Um, what about uh, Bill De Blasio? Uh, how is he doing in this area? And also, are you up on? Are you up to date on the loft law, which is uh, not? I'm not super knowledgeable about loft law, but I do know that the governor still hasn't signed it. Yes. Um, and we worked really closely. I mean, we are supportive of the loft law and the tenants who are fighting for that. And we worked really closely with many of the loft tenants who like really mobilized and supported our fight um, for stronger rent laws. Um, so they're fighting for basically more lofts to become stabilized right. under rent stabilization. Um, and I know that the bill passed in the Assembly and Senate and is still waiting to be signed by the governor. Right. And of course, the real estate uh, lobby, the real estate industry is really pushing uh, against it. Yeah. I mean, these are like, you know, lofts in Williamsburg. This is like areas of the city where they Bushwick and Williamsburg um, and other areas where they want to make, you know, more profits. Yeah. It's turning into a terrible like artsy Disneyland over there. Yeah. Not really artsy, like fake artsy, mm -hmm. fartsy. <laughs> um, so, and people are actually asking pe uh, for for calls. Uh, you can call in to urge uh, Cuomo to sign this at 518-474-8390. Again, that's 518-474-8390. So yeah, tell us about where de Blasio is in all of this. Yeah, it's interesting. Glad you're asking. Um, so de Blasio, de Blasio was yeah. largely absent and silent during the rent law fight, um, which I think was problematic. Um, you know, he's out campaigning and talking about how he's, he's running for be, president. Yeah, <laughs> he's out in Iowa um, talking to them instead and talking about how he's going to be, you know, the candidate of working people and always touting his progressive credentials. But he was really silent on an issue that affects like two million working class people and majority people of color, majority low income in our city. Um, and, um, you know, 
uh, his agency folks came to like some of the hearings and they sort of had a moderate idea. They supported some of the bills we were fighting for. They didn't support others. It just, you know, was not the kind of like robust support that I think we would expect from a mayor who claims to be as progressive as he does. Um, and tonight is really like his turn to show where he whose side he's on, whether he's with tenants or landlords, because he appoints all the members of the rent guidelines board. Um, and they did, you know, pass two years of freezes for one year leases. Um, but in recent years, they've been um, increasing the the percentage. And we're worried because landlords are really trying to make this case that they're they're going to be hurt by the new rent laws and that the rent guidelines board should give them some relief. And there's no evidence of that. And this is just like fear mongering. Um, and they're just sad that their profits may take a slight hit, which is not going to be considering how much profit they make, I don't think is going to really result in a, the catastrophe that they're talking about. Um, so really now is like the mayor's turn. I think everybody should be paying attention to how the members of his board vote because he has influence over them. Um, he likes to, you know, claim that they're independent and he, he has no control over that. But I, you know, I don't think any of us believe that. And any other politicians you want to take the moment, uh, take the time uh, to either highlight and thank or um, not thank and, mm. and, and put on notice. <laughs> We're going to start a new thing. Katie Halper shows. Putting you on notice. Yeah, I mean, Governor Cuomo, I just think if anybody has any doubt about where he stands and what his allegiance is, like he's totally in the pocket of real estate. He did not help pass this legislation at all. It actually happened like around him. Um, and I think it's, yeah, and I think it's a good thing that his power seems to be diminishing somewhat in Albany and that, uh, the majority leader, Andrew Stewart Cousins and Carl Hasty of the of the assembly are like partnering together. Like that's a huge development for um, progressives fighting for change at the state level. Um, there were really great state senators who really like push this legislation forward, like Zelnor Myrie in Brooklyn and Julia Salazar and Robert Jackson. And Julia Inwood Salazar, in friend Heights. of the show, guest of the show. Got to get those other guys on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really like many of the elected officials who who ran against the IDC and ran on housing as like a major plank of their platform. That was really important that we had people running on the issue of affordable housing and on renter protections. Great. Uh, we have another phone call. Please say your name, where you're from. Isha, and I'm from New York. Hi, Isha. Hi, Katie. Um, so, so my question for Ava is that um, it's actually exceptionally hard to find an apartment in New York City, especially with predatory, like some landlords require like three months of rents in advance. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is there anything in the changes in deposits that would make it more reasonable and affordable for people so they don't have to stay up. On yeah, like I'm so glad you're asking yeah, this. Yeah, great question. Thank you, there Isha. Was not, the show. There was not a change at the state level on this, but the city council is actually having a hearing on Thursday, which I'll be testifying at. Testify. Because they want to pass a bill that would limit the... Um, uh, the deposit or the broker's fees. It's actually limiting broker's fees to only one month's rent. 
Um, that is the law for rent stabilized apartments, but it's not the law for the other million apartments that are not regulated. So right now, brokers can charge whatever fee they want. Um, so it's about brokers fees. Um, I believe it's also about security deposits being only one month's rent um, that don't quote me on. I have to make sure uh, double check on that. But there is going to be a hearing. So if, if you're interested in that issue, please come out to the hearing 1 p.m. at City Hall this Thursday. Great. And we have another call. Thank you, Isha. And our next caller. Can you say your name and where you're from? Hello. Are you there? Hi. This, yes, I am. Hi. Can you say your name and where you're from? My name is Gerard, and I'm from New York, New York. Great. Do you have a question for Ava Farkas, uh, Executive Director of Metropolitan Council on Housing? I absolutely do. My question awesome. would be, we, we continue to villainize the private landlords in New York, but the biggest problem landlord in New York is NYCHA. Why don't we try to fix NYCHA, which looks after so many New Yorkers? All right. Interesting hot take. And can I ask, are you involved in the real estate industry? Or are you a landlord? I am a small private landlord, yes. Good, good, interesting. Wow, Eva, I'm impressed, yeah. And how many buildings do you own? Uh, I own two buildings. And are they rent stabilized? No, they are not. They're both free market uh, apartments. Okay, did they used to be rent stabilized? No, they were never rent stabilized. Okay. Okay, I mean, my answer, why, why do we vilify landlords and not NYCHA? Um, I mean, personally, I believe that public housing is a very important public good um, and has been systematically underfunded um, and has been really made to fail um, and that there should be tremendous investment in NYCHA. I think that's an important 2020 issue. I think all national candidates should be talking about how to lift the ban on federal funding for the creation of more public housing. I think that helps um, lower market rents for all renters um, across the country or across the city where the public housing is built. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I, I also um, don't think it's like a personal issue. So I also don't think it's super helpful to just say like landlords are bad or to make it about like individuals right. or talk about, you know, it's not about like individual choice. It's not about mor morals. Um, it's about a business model. And the reality is that like the business model of owning property in New York City has been one that's um, where it's profitable. And if you're a good business person, then you take advantage of these loopholes because that's the way that you make money and you maximize profits. And that's what you're supposed to do. So I, you know, I also don't think it's just about personal choice. I think it's about changing the rules of the game or the rules of the industry so that it stops being profitable to try to evict people. It stops being profitable to take people to housing court, even if there's no case against them. Um, it's the same as minimum wage. It's like, yeah there's always like a complaint that you're like going to drive small businesses out of business. Um, but you have to kind of lift all boats together. Otherwise businesses that pay people more like at a disadvantage and businesses right. that pay people less are getting ahead. So you have to level the playing field 
all at once and change the rules so that the industry adapts. And I just think that's so I don't think, you know, I also don't think it's super helpful to just demonize right. landlords. It's about like changing the structural the structure systemic. of the system. Yeah. And also, um, of course, you know, it's decentivizing exploitation because when you have these different, as you just said, Ava, uh, you are creating incentive uh, for people to exploit when you don't have limits on on uh, that. Yeah. I mean, and banks benefit from it. I mean, it's a whole system like banks are making loans on buildings at inflated values because the building is looked at not just as what the current rents are, but how much can the future rents be? So based on the old rules, the future rents could be really high because they could deregulate the apartments. They could target these couple people and take them to court because maybe it's they can prove it's not their primary residence or, you know, so it was based on this future projection that was predicated predicated on eviction and displacement. Right, yeah. And you have to change those rules to change how people do business. You have to change where we're at to change where you're going. <laughs> Is that, the caller still on the line, by the way? Are you still yes, there? Yes, I am. Oh, great. Yes, yeah. and I would, lo- I would love to bring it back tonight because I want to present an alternative to public housing. And I want your opinion on this. Public housing does not allow the individual's in public housing to build equity over time. So those individuals continuously stay in public housing and it's very difficult for them to build any equity. Whereas if they were buying properties, they would be building equity over long periods of time. And that would help raise all the boats. And I think that solution is much better than throwing more public money into into NYCHA, which is a, it, it's abysmal. There's no there's no way to get around it. It's an asset rich, cash flow poor business model. So yeah, I mean, there's just I also, it's, it's I very popular right now. So this is a major talking right. point, also of the Real Estate Board yeah. of New York, of the Rent Stabilization Association. Their major talking point is to demonize NYCHA. Right. I think it's totally racist um, and totally like a Classic. racist dog whistle. Um, that's based on this idea that like NYCHA is, is a terrible place to live. Why why should you continue to live there? Because it's like a place right. of poor people and, and people of color. And handouts that... that and uh, why should it be a bad place to live? Like NYCHA should be a wonderful place to live if it was funded well and well-maintained. Like why wouldn't you want to live there your whole life and raise your kids there? Like we should strive for it to be like the best type of housing that it can be. That's how it is in many like you know, democratic, socialist, European countries, they have wonderful public and social housing. Um, And, you know, I just think that the, the there's a whole paradigm and ideology of private property and home ownership in this country that is not the reality for a growing and growing segment of the American public and also is not. I don't know if that's the best model for housing. Like I grew up in Mitchell-Lama housing, which is a wonderful program that um, allowed people to be co-op owners, but didn't purchase their their like the profit was taken out of like the purchase price um, and how much you paid for maintenance. Um, And I just don't think housing as a commodity, I think, is the wrong solution and creates yeah. the crisis of homelessness. Like yeah. as long as housing is a commodity and, you know, 
it's exclusive and private property and capitalism. Yeah, yeah. And again, we, Bad. you know, look out for those tropes about throwing money at, at things. We hear that a lot. There are these talking points. You know, typical thing is, is something's underfunded and then the argument is, look how badly they're doing. We shouldn't be funding them as opposed to demanding more funding. Uh, so we just, all we're doing is saying, give democracy a chance, give peace a chance, give fair housing a chance. And um, with that, we bid you adieu. Uh, again, thank you so much, Ava Fark, as executive director of Metropolitan Council on Housing. Where can we find you very quickly? Um, you can find us on Twitter at Met underscore Council and on Facebook at Met Council and Met Council on Housing.org. Great. And you are listening to The Katie Helper Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show.